Excuse me, Commander. I have urgent news. Really? What is it? Can't you see I'm busy? Excellent nemesis dialogue today, Commander. By the way, I thought I'd just mention... I thought you said the news was urgent. But don't let that deflect you from kissing my highly polished alloy derriere, will you? I apologize, Commander. I was just attempting in a graven manner to preserve my own miserable circuits from the pain of electromagnetic annihilation. Multiple bogeys have suddenly appeared on long-range scanners, sir. The 80s kids and your former colleagues. They're mounting an attack. Excellent news. How long have I waited for this? How long until the 80s kids faced their nemesis and perished? Now, it is finally time for the finale. Revenge of the Aces Kids has been rated P for podcast. Leo, we have a problem. Our series finale is approaching with much disquiet on, on fan forums across the internet. So much they claim is yet to be resolved, and they doubt our ability to resolve it satisfactory given our past performance. Will we ever retake our spaceship endeavour? Who is LaBeouf? And is it right to introduce a new arch-villain with his as-and-yet unexplained backstory when we should be zeroing in on Big Bay? What about Earth and all those zombies? Will they ever explain how Justin survived getting off by ninjas in the Luke Besson episode? What about the giraffe? What about Sue? If the Sue on the Endeavour is Sue 2.0, then surely there's a Sue 1.0 out there somewhere. Uh, will the two Sues ever meet? What happens if they do? Uh, one thing is sure, the odds are apparently high that one of us will die tragically in the final and yours truly is odds-on favourite to be the one to cark it heroically. Apparently this would give the ending the right emotional lift. I would tell you more about this, but I got banned by the fan forums shortly afterwards for telling them to all go die in a fire in a rather abusive tone of voice. In any event, we should plan our final episode with care. Perhaps we should study how other program makers handle their final episode and plan accordingly. Otherwise, I urge us to gird our loins for the fan backlash and draft the resulting apology with tact and care. Ian, Ian, Ian. It's as if you think that I haven't already thought of this. A thousand, a hundred thousand, nearly a million trained monkeys are poised at this very moment for the letter writing campaign that after the unsatisfactory finale that resolves, you know, only half of the outstanding plot points, we will be assured of a mini series in which we had better not screw it up a second time. So it's fine. It's fine. We really Coming. are. What we're going to do. Yeah. What we do is we will snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. People will be walking 
walking away from the actual series going, what the hell was all that about? But when they see the miniseries, they go, well, it was a good attempt at uh, roping it all together. I think that's uh, good. So, so, yeah. so your thesis of happy fans being quiet fans, basically you want to have us the most dissatisfied fans in the universe, and we will never stop being talked about, ever. I think that's probably a good way to look at it, for we are the 80s kids, and uh, we are here with what, uh, before the show, I was terming a an old-school approach. I mean, now I realise that it's uh, less than 10 episodes since our Victorian action detective moment, uh, which was after the 100th party, and indeed that had a throwback of being a fill-in to the schedule uh, due to unexpected circumstances arising, but, but indeed today... We have consciously planned to have this. This is it. For those of you that love the format of the show when it's just me and Ian stroking our chins and musing over the, uh, the, the ephemera of pop culture, this is your last chance saloon, which is appropriate for we are talking today about television finales. And in preparation for this event, it came up that before... Let's put a, a pin in it, 1990, really, although there's a broader cultural thing. Shows didn't really have finales. I was trying to think of, like, you've got a very early one, because you like the serial that I never watched, which is Blake Seven. And you have, in fact, in the past, described the end of this. But now let's talk about, you know, just that finale, and, and, and tell me about how you experienced the end of Blake Seven, Ian. The end of Blake Seven, it is, is possibly the most nihilistic episode of a science fiction series I have ever seen. Spoilers, everyone. Essentially, it was the red wedding of its day, uh, to de- take a Game of Thrones trope. It's the one where a lot of the heroes die. In fact, pretty much all of them. In fact, yes, all of them. And there's your credit sequence. Well, and they don't even die like in some heroic charge against the final baddie. No, they're literally just cornered at one point by, by the Federation and wiped out. And there we have it. All dead. I suppose to its defense, <laughs> it made it a very memorable end to a series. Uh, it was also perhaps not quite intended to be the final ever episode. It was certainly a case of they didn't want the series to end with them just flying off into space to have another adventure next week, maybe if they picked up. It's kind of like, well, in case we don't, let's go out in a way that they'll remember us. But if we do come back, eh, we'll work something out. But eh, there we go. All died. When did you see this? Would it be ni- would it been 1981, so it would have been a very small child, four, five, something like that. You know, it was a bit distressing, I dare say. Uh, so, oh, they all died. Well, were they the bad guys then? Was I following the wrong side the entire time? Uh, yeah. But it's, it's only something the British could do with our, with our miserable 1984-style science fiction that goes on around here. It's like the good guys didn't always win. In fact, there's probably no good guys. Weirdly, uh, because of the strange uh, series format that uh, uh, comes with many uh, UK shows, long-running shows that were running at a time are still running now, or running. You know, you know, the EastEnders started uh, sometime in the 80s and is still running now. Coronation Street's been running since the 50s and is still running now. So. You know, our long running series are pretty much immortal and just keep going. And by the time it gets to an end, uh, such as I know that they don't do Brookside anymore. I don't know what happened at the end of Brookside. Uh, and in fact, there was a similar thing with uh, the police sort of workplace soap opera, The Bill, that they went on for so long. I mean, for so long that 
when they got to the end, it was like, you know, 600 people still, you know, who really couldn't get off the habit. And everyone else was just looking at these adverts. Because the thing about it is that mm. when they have such a long running series and they're going to bring it to an end, they tend to go a bit nuts and they're like explosions and like it suddenly becomes like, you know, um, Brookside directed by Michael Bay. You know, if I ever liked the show, it wasn't for the reasons of what you're doing now. What you're doing now is some great big firework display I, I to send off this long running series. I don't believe the bill ended with a firework display. Did it? I know there's a very long tracking shot at the end of all the characters being policemen in their police station i suppose that's kind of a full stop yeah but i remember uh, towards the end of the build they did a lot of uh very special sequences and well, had, so like you know they turned it into they made it more hollywood towards the end they wanted to make it a feature uh, as they were finishing it off i remember that distinctly because they put up haha billboards and did lots of advertising and tried to make it look a bit more swish than it had been when it was people running around cardboard sets doing stuff about muggings and stuff and it, it just I don't believe the bill had any me. cardboard sets to be fair to it, it was always short well, you know what I mean. as far as I know I'm, I'm just trying to say they tried to make it look a bit glossier than it had for the majority of its run but, the, but these things you know it's just like here's your next batch of episodes you know what you're getting with it I mean so popular is there a different kettle of fish from cereals? Yeah. I would say. No, no, I'm just saying, what I'm saying is that those things tend to still run, and if they weren't still running, l- most people, myself included, stopped right away. Whereas things that had a much shorter series, BBC things, like, of course, uh, The Young Ones had a second season finale in which, while listening to, I think it was Summer Holiday, they drove through a billboard with Cliff Richard's face on it and crashed their bus into a quarry, all dying in a fiery flame of death which Sim- is well, perfectly sim- appropriate similarly in bottom there i believe uh, uh what you, eddie and rick are shot to death by police in their flat at the end yes and and then you've got the hitchhiker's guide which was intended to be a six, six uh, episode I, don't, I mean i think with the hitchhiker's guide because we learned from experience that there was always a little bit, bit more cash to be milked out of that particular cow in other formats that they had kind of left it where they might do a hitchhiker's Guide uh, Galaxy Series 2, but um, as it is, it's perfectly fine as the six-episode arc that it is, where they end on, on you know, the ancient planet Earth with their improvised Scrabble set and uh, well, it's, guy it's, in a bath. It's pretty much a recreation of the first radio series in most regards. Um, yeah. Also, I think there was kind of an intention for a second, for a second series of Hitchhikers, but I don't think anyone got on with, with the producer, so I, it's just kind of, there was no will to push for it. Yeah, so from that, we can kind of surmise that in my experience uh, when I was younger, television series ran for a bit and then they stopped running and there was, you know, and then you, you watched yeah, something else I mean, instead. You might get the a death of a lead character in the final episode, maybe. Not necessarily yeah. the lead, but maybe someone of importance. So there's a moment of poignancy when it all ends. Because the, the other one uh, that you mentioned, which I can't really even remember despite being a big fan of the show, and I think this was because of my thing that it was just like, well, you keep making this show, and then one day you will not make it anymore, was uh, Moonlighting. I didn't really, uh, I don't really remember what happened in the finale of Moonlighting, but then I, I understand it was not very coherent. So well, you, you told me the ending of Moonlighting. Oh, right, okay. Which I understand was there was a strange disheveled guy who keeps running away from them. Eventually they catch up with him and he tells them that, you know, he was the creator of the series, but now the show's been cancelled and they're all out of work. Because, you know, oh meta, God, because I've started to meta, you know, 
good, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Fine. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, these were the, the problems that they experienced, especially with something like Moonlighting, which was like episodic or is it episodic? Does it have an arc? We don't know. Well, there was the ongoing relationship arc of the series, I suppose. Yeah. Well, it's exactly, they didn't really know what kind of show it was by the end. And that was, and I think this was a very common two shows. I mean, Good grief. Can anyone remember uh, the series finale ever of Knight Rider or Airwolf or any of those shows? They just stopped. Yeah, it was, well, I guess. I don't know. Maybe yeah, they, they, they did. They, 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 they just stopped. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Right. That's fine. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that, there we go. That's why I don't remember it. Though. I think perhaps I wouldn't have known it. Which, there, are, there are episodes which happen to be the final one by virtue of it not being renewed. Should we perhaps exile those from our consideration and oh yeah no totally no, conscious totally. final say. episodes it has to be a conscious final episode and what i'm saying is as i start we ran through a list at the beginning and there were lots of notable examples which we will come to but i think it's important to note that this is a relatively new thing to think that a television series would have an actual end because you've already said you know blake's uh, seven has a finale but then they kind of half thought maybe it'll just be a cliffhanger and then it wasn't uh, so i guess in a way that maybe doesn't count because they didn't know whether it was going to go forward or not so therefore i guess my first example that i was really going to push for was twin peaks but again i think they wanted a letter writing campaign i think they got a letter writing campaign but i think that it was just too much for, for to be born and they just didn't come back yeah i mean in that one that was a proper everyone dies let's throw our toys out of the pram because we've been cancelled kind of ending and, and, I remember and since then new toys have been thrown out the pram when he didn't get the budget he wanted i remember la law used to have this cycle where they would have a lot of audience and then because they had a big audience share they would be told by the network to tone it down a bit because now they had a lot of people watching and they didn't want complaints. So they tone it down and everybody goes, oh, it's boring, stop watching. So they go, well, we're going to cancel you. And they go, great. And they pull out this big bag of ideas they had for things we could do when we've got nothing to lose. And they'd start dealing with all these crazy subjects that were hot button topics. And everybody go, oh, did you see LA Law last night? You should have watched it. And that went on for like seven, you know, whatever, five seasons or something. Like they kept nearly getting cancelled. And then as soon as the network lost interest, they'd pull out the stories people wanted to see and everybody start watching it again so they get picked up again so i guess really a couple of watermark watershed moments in the finale uh, uh, game as it were are one babylon 5 now i don't know much about i've seen it i believe because you lent me dvds or i rented them or something but you're obviously the person to tell us about you know i know there's the whole thing about well they said they were going to get canned in four and so they went on for five uh but this talks to intention so how did that all work out in your mind ian it was the great j marco Chazinski master plan it was going to be a five-year story arc and, and we were assured by the man himself when it was all over we'd just be going oh, what next in the end though it had a lot of loose plot threads i mean yes they towards the end of the fourth series he did kind of start pulling some storylines in the fourth series is pretty action-packed can't miss an episode kind of a story affair uh, which means the fifth series is a bit more of a leaner cupboard and it's got some few bits and pieces left over. The budget was cut. It was on a different channel. Various other production issues going on as well. <laughs> cast leaving. So the fifth series does definitely feel a lot more kind of weaker and dowdier with a lot less story arc episodes in there. There is some good storylines in there. There is some good character stuff in there. Clever way he did it because Babylon 5's 
final episode is actually a leap forward to like 20 years in the future. So what he did was when he recorded series four, he actually recorded that final episode then. And then when he got picked up for fifth series, he sort of took away episodes from the fifth series and put it instead as the season finale for season four and held back that original season four finale for the end of series five because it's a leap forward to the future. So it doesn't really matter. I suppose in terms of the principal characters being rounded off, it was fine. The last 50 minutes are very emotional for a Babylon 5 fan. They literally do, uh, like in Cheers, sweep the floor, switch off the lights and leave the space station to become a derelict they're going to demolish. And I think the frustration from the fans' point of view was that the fifth series wasn't very good. It does tend to leave a, a bad last impression with the fans, unfortunately. I, I think it would be better if he just had to cram it into four. I think would, everyone, would, everyone remembered it a lot more uh, well than they had. And also he was distracted by the fact he was getting a spin-off series and the, on the talk of a possibility of Babylon 5 films. So I think there was other story arc material he was sort of pulling out and expanding to put in those as well. So there was an awful lot of things, you know, left him as the principal war that was a driver of the Babylon 5 series is resolved, I suppose. But the thing is, they resolved that in the fourth series. Yeah. Fifth series is wheel spinning, then stopping. Kind of sad, yes. really. Really? It, you have to look at, this is like an early attempt in a, a sci-fi series. You know, like you already said, you know, Knight Rider, Street Hawk, things like that. It just stopped, really. It didn't make any more. So that was well, it. Street Hawk was only 30 episodes, that's why. Well, yeah, I know, but I want Manimal then, let's count it. Anyway, the point is all of these things, I mean, way back in the day, and I don't suppose either of us are going to know this because I don't, but The Incredible Hulk, I mean, The Incredible Hulk had um, TV movies, so that was one of those ones where it was like, well, he's still, you know, David Banner is still wandering about uh, hulking out every so often, but here's some television movies to, to sort of, uh, well, to, to be uh, fair, hulk it uh, out. the, uh, sort of, the sort of parallel to the Hulk, which I suppose would be the fugitive, did have an ending where, where he does actually catch the one-armed man and is, cl- and is cleared of his wife's murder. Oh, so there we go. So there we go. That's a show finale. And I guess that's a show finale. I mean, really, I mean, yeah, here's one that got betrayed and this is a f- finale. And I remember watching it and I remember being like, what? Quantum leap. <laughs> Hoping that every leap would be a leap. Oh, well, hope on my shiny diamond for it is never going to happen. It explicitly says so at the end of the bloody show. And so, it's like, the thing about it is, when it's so close, when it's just like, well, all he has to do is, at the end of the episode, maybe end the, the sort of sub-story 20 minutes early so that you could do, like, a oh, I've got home thing, or maybe even have, like, a three-part finale where he leaps home, and then he has some drama to sort out at home or something. But no, they decided just to go with, there's a guy in a bar who might be God, and that's it. To, uh, to again, well, not to be fair, but to kind of explain the background of it, I have a feeling it was a bit of a Blake Seven situation. Like, I think they had hopes they were going to go on for another series after this, but they weren't. So, like, here's your last episode. And I do believe the whole kind of, you know, text at the end going, and Sam Beckett never returned home, was kind of tacked on in post-production. Just kind of oh, so it. it's their toys out of the pram thing again. Okay, yeah. cool. So, yeah, so there we go. So, uh, really, Babylon 5 was something that could be seen coming. And I think that's part of it that's very important. 
therefore, that if a show has a finale at all, it should be, oh, we saw it coming. So we actually, this is, this is what we've made to finish off the thing. So therefore, Quantum Leap doesn't count. So that's fine. So up until that point, we've been through everything. And with the exception of The Fugitive, where they, they kind of got what they wanted, nobody's ever managed to bring one of these things in successfully. So that shows you how difficult it is to properly plan an ending, especially bearing in mind the fact that the way that the, the, these people do business, uh, television networks is if it's good we'll buy we'll commission more of it and if it's not we won't and so really what we're seeing there is mm. a, a shift in the way that television companies do business well that, you, and this happens over the 90s yes yes and no i mean we, we we're talk, always talking about very popular prestige television there's a lot of series in america i mean series can die very quickly in america do you get any notice it's coming at all? It's a, it's a rare oh, thing. Oh yeah, no, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it doesn't, Fox is famous for just going, right, that's it. We're not going with that. We're not going with that. But what I'm saying is that there is now more of an opportunity because even in the big shows, they, they still got this thing where it was like, and now it's over. Yeah. At some point next two years, we are probably going to have a final ever Simpsons episode and they really just can't have, and there's an episode and there's the credits. They really are going to have to pull the stops out and do a, you know, double length, simpsons episode aren't they i guess so i mean i think it makes me wonder bearing in mind the fact that babylon 5 was all planned out like that and of course babylon 5 was a rival to to new star trek whether new star trek got its planned more planned ending precisely because they weren't going to be shown up by babylon 5 uh, I was I, like, well, we've got to do it now. I think when you talk about the rivalry, the rivalry was, I mean, yes, there's certain accusations that perhaps Deep Space Nine was slightly based on the script that J. Mike Kozinski was mm. showing around when he was trying to pitch a Babylon 5. There is definitely certain parallels between the two series. I don't think it was so much so with Star Trek, and certainly we have had a bleed through of Star Trek fans, to, uh, fans, stars, uh, to Babylon 5. So I think, you know, overall it's like, no, no, you can love both. Why not? We're all science fiction fans here. Uh, well, Star Trek's final episode, I think it was, it sort of came through in discussions about what they wanted to do for the final story. I think all good things came together very well. It could have been a complete dud of a story. It just so happened that I think the elements that had were very good, it had a very good emotional tone. The whole fact it's split between three different timelines, of one being the future, one being you know, Series 7, and the other one harking back to, essentially, the first episode uh, was a very clever way of just umbrellaing everything into one package. Seems to be, Yeah, yeah, well, that's fine, yeah. I, I think it's their best like, finale to date, I would say. Yeah, well, which, which is exactly the point. If we look at that, it's like really that's the first time you can say, see something and it's been planned and this is what they're giving you. And, and we were discussing this, uh, before we started that you get sort of your cheers ending where it's like turn off the lights, you know, sweep the floor, turn off the lights and there it all is. And that's a, f- a good finale format for something that is very much has no arc. You know, when it's in episodic mode, as it were. Right, there we go. We'll just say, hey, wasn't it great? And uh, get a bit teary-eyed. And then, uh, you know, we'll switch the lights off or everybody go and play cards or whatever it is. That's perfectly appropriate. Where I think later on we're going to run into choppy waters with that is uh, when they try and apply that same ethic to an arc-based show it, it totally doesn't work. Uh, in fact, it is more likely to occasion anger than, oh yeah, it was great, wasn't it? So yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's an important part. I mean, yes, I have gone on record several times of just showing how ambivalent and conflicted I am about story arcs. 
And even though I say the best kind of story arcs are the ones where they just kind of feel their way as they go and go with what works and expand upon that, there is a danger that you just kind of, it's a very, it's a very good middle and middle is what you need for series is. But endings, oh goodness me, if you just kind of feel your way to the ending, uh, it can sometimes it can be a, a definite, uh, I, I would say. I- I think that writers generally have a problem with endings because although starting something is tricky, you're going to start a lot of stuff. The the trick to starting is to make sure there is a middle. And so the starts that don't work are uh, the ones that don't end up turning into middle, that you just stop at some point, you know, before you've really got into your teeth into it. The problem with that is that, all writers will have a lot of starts that didn't turn into middles. And then once you've got a middle, you kind of have to do an end. But the problem is that you'll get middles so rarely and then you can't practice ends. You won't have a bunch of ends of stories that didn't have beginnings lying around unless you're an incredibly bizarre human being. Mm. Um, and so therefore ends as a whole are tricky. It's very rare that you get that ending that is like, yep, that's the end. Well done. I think because, uh, you know, no matter what medium you're talking about, you're doing this in it with a TV budget. So as much as they would love to, like, have the apocalypse as a global event for the final episode, it's very hard to pull off with Mr. TV budget because TV well, is as, about people talking urgently in rooms. As we shall see, you don't need the apocalypse. You just need an ending. And this is the thing. I mean, one of the big advantages our culture is, there are a couple of ways in which our culture is, is different in a way that we couldn't have expected that give us certain advantages. I started to realize the other day in the production of fiction. And one of those advantages is we now have a primer, a visual primer on what works and what doesn't in the end of a story. And for this reason, endings can be expected to an uptake in quality as we go forward into the future. Never mind global warming. We've cracked that finishing off a story thing. So, you know, cool. But we'll come back to that uh, shortly because we've got other things to do in the meanwhile. So, yeah, Star Trek got an end uh, that was a a fairly satisfying end and did the job because of the format of the show, uh, which didn't really help out. I'm going to fast forward straight into Buffy at this point, because I think that's the next major watershed. Because Buffy, of course, became uh, the, the the show that changed television, as we saw in our journey up to this point. And seven seasons on, well, of course, and then this is something I wanted to discuss because there's two shows. Supernatural had a finale and then it continued after the finale. But we can't discuss that because you're still watching Supernatural mm. to some length. But Buffy also had a finale and then had seasons after the finale that was originally and, planned. And Stargate. Well, Stargate, no. Stargate is a bit of a different situation in that it had a finale when Richard Dean Anderson called it quits because, yeah, they kind of wanted to move over to Atlantis and leave Stargate, but there were still numbers. Oh, and of course the X-Files. Uh, oh, yes, God. That was the other thing. Stargate got into a bit of a pissing contest with the X-Files about who had the longest run. I'm not even going to talk about X-Files because I've never seen the X-Files finale. I haven't seen any X-Files past the beginning of season three. So it would be a bit stupid for me to discuss it. Have you got anything to say about the end of X-Files? End of X-Files. Well, Duchovny had basically left the series and you had the T-1000 being the leading man of the series. Yeah, yeah. But with the final, obviously, Duchovny comes back. So he's going into a military base and gets caught and put on trial 
And the whole last episode is the trial of Mulder and lots of characters which are still living from the past come in and testify on this and that. And then you learn there's an invasion plan for 2012. Oh, I'm sure they'll be back for that. Uh, uh, and I think he gets off at the end and then it ends. I think that's what happens. Oh, right. Okay. Fair enough. So that's, that's rubbish. Let's move on. But Stargate kind of wanted to have the, cause X-Files went on for a long time and had a lot of ep- episodes. And so Stargate wanted to beat it. So they kind of wanted, but any, I mean, as soon as they'd beat X-Files, they cancelled the show. So that, you know, that shows you what the, the commitment level was. I mean, I would argue that Stargate Atlantis, although it's uh, technically a different show, is more of an extension of Stargate than a a real separate show. There's very little to draw between the two shows in terms of content. And so, in a way, Stargate has, well, there's ten seasons of the regular and five of Atlantis. So it's only concurrent running. In a way that I don't think, I don't think you could say that Deep Space Nine is just more Star Trek Next Gen. And although Voyager is closer to that, they put a thing in place which means that it doesn't, I mean, Stargate uh, Atlantis has the, you know, characters doing basically the same things. Like Sam Carter comes in and runs the Atlantis operation when Stargate SG-1 finishes because they wanted to give Amanda Tapping work. And for that reason, it becomes, well, it's just like the office down the wall, really. Because Deep Space Nine kicked in when Star Trek Next Gen was on its fifth series, I I believe. Uh, so that was definitely meant to be its own separate thing. Voyager is the successor to Next Gen, and indeed it, yeah. is, it is principally the same format as, you, as you'll yes. see. I mean, Worf did get recruited to Deep Space Nine, and Deep Space Nine does have yes. an ending. I say that the actual war storyline was resolved satisfactorily. It was a proper "let's go battle this out" ending. I don't wimp out of, wimp out of that at all. I think, but I think the character resolutions uh, weren't handled very well. But in no. terms of war, it was very good. What happened was, anyway, in Stargate, RDA said, well, let's, let's knock it on the head. I mean, they had a couple of goes, you know, seven was supposed to be the end because then it was going to be Atlantis and then they came back for eight. And then eight was where RDA went, I'm, I'm off. I'm not having any more of this. And he went. And to be fair, nine and 10, they do deal with that quite well. And then they have the end of season 10 of uh, Stargate SG-1. And I I think there is possibly an amount to which the fact that Atlantis had found its feet by that stage undermines the end of SG-1 because they're like, well, yeah, SG-1's over, but Atlantis is basically the same thing. So, And so the end of 10 is possibly the most appalling ending. How bad could it be? Well, just it's well, it's it's Night Rider esque, and it's nothing really happens. It's just like they have we defeat... can be back next season. All oh, right, so they don't defeat the, the other the other the new bad guys then at all. The, these old gods. Oh, they defeated them. those. And my favourite part about defeating the other guys was the fact that what they basically did was send a spaceship through a giant stargate and go. Well, I guess that's uh, done then. Because they couldn't check, because when the other uh, spaceship would blow up, it would cut off their route home. And so they just had to trust that this gigantic spaceship full of explosives would wipe out their enemy. And that oh. was it. Oh, right, okay. um, and then they had like three more episodes to do. So they, they noodled about for three episodes. And then, you know, that was it. So, yeah, I mean, that whole thing was just like a bit mismanaged. There was no epicness to that i mean they had the epic bit but it, it it was earlier on so it kind of it sort of stalled rather than ending it kind of the, the fade went uh 
Mm. You're like, that's not a way to end a song. You've just gone, what? I don't understand. So, yeah, that, that was one. And then Buffy had several endings. The end of season three was to many people's minds. Well, she's left high school. There we go. The end. And then season four didn't really have an end. Yeah, I mean, you know, season four was fine. I think the problem with the season five end is two things. One, Joss Whedon needs to start. I mean, he takes the reverse of antidepressants when it comes to writing these things. That would be depressants. Yeah, yes. he takes those. Yeah, because you get to the end and it's just like, oh, well, that's a bit of a downer, isn't it? And it's a downer on what is one of the weaker season arcs. Mm. Uh, and then, and then when it comes back, it is a zombie. I mean, that season six, what the hell was all that about? Misery, misery, misery. God, we don't want to be here. What the hell is going on? And a musical. And then they kind of go, right, let's rally the troops one more season. And seven picks itself up, puts on its makeup and does its best job at, you know, trying to be, uh, all it can be. And to be fair, if you see that there's, well, it ended in three and then it ended in five. When they get to seven, they actually pulled it. I thought the end of that was like, yeah, that's all right. I can dig that. That actually works pretty well. Good. But they took them three stalled attempts to get to the end, like the proper end, the endiest end that they could end ever. I mean, Angel didn't get what I would consider to be a proper finale because I guess it was still hanging over from that 80s thing of we'd really prefer it if you didn't cancel us. But they did instantly disqualifies it. Well, let, let's talk from them then. As fans, do we do we want to have and then they beat the bad guys and the surviving heroes buried their loved ones and settled down and lived happily ever after? Or do we want to have and they died back to back facing off the hordes? I mean, what sort of ending do you want to go for here? Well, I, I don't think there is one definitive answer to that. I mean, in Buffy, obviously, oh, yeah, spoilers, everyone. If you hadn't come into an episode of the 80s kids about finale shows for television series is thinking, hmm, there might be some spoilers in here. Then spoilers, there are spoilers in this episode. They kind of drive out of Sunnydale and Sunnydale gets sucked into a yeah, crater. Yeah. And that's the end of that. It's like, cool. The, the hell mouth has been closed up with the concrete and steel of the, the the town that was built on top of it. That pretty much says to me, this is over. And they didn't die back to back. They went on to be in graphic novels that very few people read. But it's fine. Do you know what I mean? It's just, uh, that end to the television series is perfectly okay. They neither died nor did they go on to live long and happy lives. And in, indeed in Stargate, the same thing is is true. They just kind of go business as usual, which is like, and the, the thing about it is, I think that's definitely out. Because the whole point is that every series that got cancelled in midair ends business as usual. And so when you know that the end is coming and then you just write a business as usual episode, that is just not on. That is absolutely, totally out of order and is even maybe a bit contemptuous. The problem is, I think that the people who love the show try and signal their contempt for the suits at the network who cancelled them without thinking, maybe the fans would prefer it if we just 
we're a bit more grown up about this. Um, I mean, if things get cancelled, does happen. Charmed, uh, of course, is part of this big triptych of shows that had to have some kind of an ending that kind of ran into this Buffy verse. You know, because we back in the 90s television, we talk about Buffy changed television and Stargate and Charmed got caught up in the, in the wash, as it were. They started out as one thing and ended up as, oh, we have to have arcs and, big stories and recurring characters and all this stuff because that's what's hip right now and charmed is more that than stargate so we definitely and in fact the last season eight of charmed is just a ripoff of buffy uh so that shows how far they went in that now charmed never backed down from big emotional endings at the end of seven there was this situation where all of the characters main characters were quote unquote dead but they weren't they had just been like magically erased and replaced with people who weren't them like they didn't nobody knew it was them so they'd completely changed identities which freed them of their destiny and i remember sue saying yeah i quite like that ending and she didn't even know there was a season eight she thought that was the finale then we got the discs for season eight and watched that and she was like uh, okay then and then the final ending was and then they lived long and happy lives and you get a sort of montage of them living through to old age and their kids growing up so that's a different approach and there's nothing wrong with that i will say you know i think that's probably if you're really stuck that's your go-to right there is a quick montage of them living long and happy lives and blah, blah, blah. Because then people might go, well, you know, I was kind of expecting that that would be the case. It's the sort of filmic equivalent of saying, and they all lived happily ever after. But, but, hey, it works. People go, okay, I can live with that. It's not maybe the most satisfying ending. And I think there's the rub. You, what you asked earlier about what is the perfect ending is, well, it's dependent on the story, but it has to be satisfying. And I think we might be reaching that time roundabout now. When you say satisfying ending, The Shield, and we, mm. we can go full on spoiler mode for this, has what has to be one of the most perfect endings that exists in television history, in my opinion. I think you'd probably agree with that, wouldn't you? Uh, certainly. I mean, when it comes to ending, it's basically the ending of Mackie. I mean, it's, it's business as usual for pretty much everyone else in the series. Well, in, uh, but that's the like that. I think that's the point. It's not business as usual. I think what they did, and cleverly so, they made it a case where... The incidents that you had seen as part of the stories incited by Vic shooting that cop in the face, well, fed in the face at the beginning. So everything that you'd seen for the seven seasons that had run, what they did was they went, well, we can't just, ha-, you know, it's not everybody dies. It's not this. It's not that. It's not all the usual stuff that you might expect at the end. But we want to demonstrate with each character that the experiences that they've had during the time that the audience have been with them have had an impact. And although they are now going forward as if life was a continuity, actually what we're trying to say is that they are not the same people they were when you started. And the reason that this is an ending is because if we were to continue from this point, all the characters would in some deep and subtle way be starting from a different point and that is the ending of the shield i mean is it the ending of everything else we can't say you can't go off a single data point but it works perfectly for the shield 
I think because he is the central character, well, towards the end, it's a sinking ship, isn't it? So the last few, two seasons, I would say, as soon as Lem dies, that's it. He's just constantly bailing out the sinking boat and hatching as many deals as he does to survive another night. And sooner, you know, sooner or later, his luck's going to run out. So he just kind of cashes in his chips with his get, his great get out clause, selling out his last remaining loyal soldier as he does so. And And but in so doing, uh, gives himself such an ignominious and humiliating end that well, it's... that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, it's like at the beginning, uh, Vic Mackey is the, the the leader, you know, the prince of the city, because he is brutish like a thug, which some of the more refined, you know, those detective types, they haven't got the guts to do what I'm going to do, but he also believes himself to be clever enough and that's why he's like he's got the brains and the brawn to do everything and that's why he should be in charge and it is therefore fitting that his brawn and brains working overtime should be the thing that paints him into a corner he can't get out of if he just like you know put a gun to his head that wouldn't have seemed right if he'd got taken out by someone else and died that wouldn't be not a this is the thing what's he's not given a soldier's death is he no, the tragedy of Vic Mackey is that he doesn't get to be a... Tra- he's not Othello. You're some scrote. You're a chancer who tried to have his cake and eat it. Yeah, I mean, the point is that probably at some point they had a conversation or watched something where there was that whole thing about a lion in a cage slowly eking out its life dying. And they always used that trope in the films where it comes up to legitimize why, why the villain or tragic hero is going to go out in a blaze and he's put himself in a position of going out in a proper blaze of glory at the appropriate time and they weren't wouldn't it be cool if he we kept presenting him with chances to go out in a blaze of glory but he's actually too pig-headed to realize it and he always thinks he's too clever and then you understand that the reason the sad lion uh, that the person in the other story saw in a cage all gray and he'd lost all his pride and luster was because he was the lion that thought he didn't have to go out in a blaze of glory and one day he found himself in a lion enclosure in a zoo slowly fiddling away his life well, on nothing yeah well he he as part of his plea deal so to speak he had to be given three years of employment but instead of putting him to work he's just like reading reports and writing them up at night by the way and he doesn't even have the consolation of going i'm doing this for my family because his family have left him They've got a witness protection. He now has nobody. He's doing this for nobody. He has bought his own survival and he's got a boring, mindless office job at night for three years and he can never quit. If he quits, he goes to jail for life. Yeah. This is the thing. I remember when I felt what hooked me in and what we discussed before is this idea that he does this thing at the beginning that's unspeakable. Not You never question whether he was right, but question whether you can live with it. And what you're really doing is that that's how they generate sympathy for it, because he asks whether he can live to it, and he comes with the, with the conclusion, yeah, I'm fine with it, yeah? And and you have to decide whether where that sits with you. And you never, you as the audience, are never quite at ease with the fact that he shot a fed in the face. But he seems to be perfectly happy with it. And that remains like a stone in your shoe, even as you cheer him taking out the people who were worse than him you are still like yeah but still that 
sometimes I don't agree with what he does. And so at the end, you simultaneously get the double joy of not being able to predict what was going to happen at the end. Him getting his comeuppance in an incredibly satisfying way and you feeling that it's appropriate. And so because it hits all of those buttons, you walk away and you're just like, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, that, that, that was, was great. That was worse than jail. That was worse than being killed. Worse than jail, worse than being killed, entirely appropriate. And I am now at ease with him shooting that fed in the face because yes. where it led him along this long, twisty and torturous road was to this place where he is literally in an earthbound hell for his own character. He, he's built his own cage. Yeah, yeah. You've got to know the character so well that you realize that because the best thing about it is if he was to go and complain to anyone about what had happened to him they'd have to go well you kind of did it to yourself and they wouldn't understand they wouldn't understand and what the audience gets to walk away with that that person that Vic Mackey talks to wouldn't is that you watch the whole thing go down and you understand it on it that's I think that's probably a very important component of the satisfying ending is that the audience walks away with an understanding that you can picture what would happen to that guy in life and you've got an extra little inside info whereas another go go wow that sucks man but you know if i was gonna be harsh i'd have to say you brought in herself whereas it was like if i met that guy i'd be like dude you did it to yourself get over it i don't feel sorry for you a person you could try and entreat a person who hadn't seen the whole thing to feel sorry for you but i saw the whole thing i don't feel sorry for you one bit and that's cool i think that's that you know you feel as the audience that you've gained something from the experience of watching it that a person outside of the story couldn't possibly have gained from being related to it because you are start to understand the nature of unreliable witness and how anyone who could have told you the story of vic Mackey, a journalist who could have written the story in the past would miss so much and that kind of consolidates all of the rest of the series because you realise that you've seen it but even if you were to go away and try and tell everybody what had happened you wouldn't be able to you have to watch what happens as it happens and that again makes it seriously satisfying and I would further say is nothing like the way that they resolve Farscape so we could say it's definitely not the only way that you could because it sounds like a hell of a lot of work for every story to end in quite such a way Farscape is kind of less satisfying in certain ways and possibly we'll be able to draw some conclusions from that. But I don't think it's bad. I think it's actually pretty good. I think they fulfilled their commitment to the fans. Yes, it's an awfully compressed storyline, but it does wrap up an awful lot of things. I mean, it just puts all the characters into a, into a very natural rest and resolves the principal war that was going on in the background of the series. And, you know, our characters get to fly off into space and be a happy family with no one chasing them or trying to kill them like they had been for the previous four years or so. I think there is also a touch, though, because that is, you know, what you've just described is the charmed and then they all lived happily ever after thing. I think it, with Charm, they were like, and nothing interesting ever happened to them again. And I think that's inherently something you can't say. But the problem with saying, and then interesting things happen to them after this point as well, you go, well, get on with telling me the story about that then. And you're like, no, this is the end of the story. And how do you get out of that? Farscape, 
did manage to pull off, I believe, because uh, there's you know a child is born and like you say, the situation changes. They never imply that, and then everything was hunky dory. They just say, and if we tell a story after this, it's going to be of a again, like with the shield. If we tell a story about these people again, it's going to be of a very different nature to the story. You know, if you change John Crichton from a guy who's wondering whether he wants to get home uh, and worrying about this sort of whole, you know, the implications of taking wormhole technology back. Once all that is resolved and then he's a father, if you tell another story of John Crichton, now he's a dad in a harsh universe. And that's not what he's been for all of Farscape. So you can see as an audience member, maybe there is another story, but it's not the same story. It's now a different story. I think that is key. I think that is possibly a key thing because that is common to both the shield and Farscape is the idea of taking all the characters you've been following to this point saying, and if I continue the story at this point and tell you the next interesting thing that happened, you will be dealing with different characters with the same names and faces and souls, but they're not the same people that you've been following. And that's the nature of it. I think that's possibly something that people overshoot, which we shall come on to in just a moment, is the idea of having a satisfying arc. A satisfying arc doesn't put a character to bed. What it does is say, and if we continue the story at this point, the character will be a different person. Yes, I mean, you like the characters to learn and develop as they go. I mean, that's a kind of a very natural want. You want them to get better at what they're doing or descend into deeper villainy, depending on their arc. I suppose. I mean, um, yes, I mean, it but, seems to be a yeah, fairly I, standard development of characters that you want them to but grow. To, to contrast, now I can't talk about the end of Fringe because you haven't seen it yet mm-hmm. and you're still watching it, so I'm not going to spoil things for people who are on the show. But we can, however, discuss Alias and Lost. Alias, because you don't care about Alias and you don't care about Lost either. No. Uh, so Alias has an ending which kind of goes through there. All, all of the the main plot line gets wrapped up and then... You cut to a beach house and there's some kind of wry little visual one-liner where some puzzle that Jennifer Garner's character did in 10 seconds when she was six and thus proving she'd had the mental capacity to be a super spy, her daughter does that too but they none of the family see it because they've all wandered off to the beach to have a barbecue and then the child leaves the completed puzzle on the table and runs off behind them it's like this wry little visual thing of like yes this little six-year-old of the next generation could be the super spy of the you know the next era but the super spies of this era have defeated all the bad guys and are now going off to eat some burgers by the sunset and therefore it doesn't matter. And what I've just realised is unsatisfying about that is, is it's incredibly patronising. It's like a pat on the head and off you go. You know, if they'd had an ending which says, well, Jennifer Garner's not going to be a spy anymore because she's decided to be a mother, and that then you still show that she's, you know, she's doing all her mommy stuff, and then there's this kind of true lies moment where it's like, am I going to be able to reconcile having a baby and being a super spy? Is this the next year of my life? But we're not going to make a series about that because that's a different story to uh, I'm just a girl who is trying to do her college degree and is also a super spy. What you realise is that saying, if I continue to tell this story, it will be a different story to the one you've just been sitting through, is the right way. Saying, no, everybody was happy forevermore, and uh, although there are, the world continues to turn, these people are just fine. That is not a good, because people know that's a 
that's bullshit. And I think that's the point. I think the audience, once they've sat through five seasons of your show, deserve a bit more than then they all lived happily ever after. And then you need to work out what's that point where you say, look, if I continue on with this thread, the characters are all going to completely change and you're going to be sitting in a different theatre. So go and watch something else because that'd be better. You know, because then we've got the end of Lost, which attempts to do the old uh, sweep the floor, switch the lights out thing. I understand it turns out that the island is like um, the cork in a bottle of evil. Yeah, I think what people say about Lost and what you can actually infer from the the events on screen is very different. The, the supernatural elements get a personification in one person, and the good guy uh, becomes a personification of, of all the elements trying to stop him, and they have a fight, and they do, and so that's that, I suppose. Let's all go home, survivors. At the end of season four. There's this whole thing where it's like we've got kicked into an alternative timeline or some timey-wimey stuff has happened. And if a nuclear bomb goes off at this point, then all the things that have brought us to this point will happen. But if we or no, if we stop it going off, all the things that are, however, if we let the bomb explode or prompt it to explode, it'll take out everyone on the island and the island with it. And in a timey wimey paradoxy kind of way, we will never have crashed because the island won't be there to pull us off course and make us crash. Yeah. And so they make the bomb explode. And then two things, you know, in the beginning of the fifth season or maybe the end of the fourth, you have two timelines. One of, yes, that's how the fourth season resolves is that the bomb goes off. And what the people who crashed on the island find is that although the bomb has gone off and they were at ground zero of a nuclear explosion, the bomb appears to have disappeared with no lasting ill effects, weirdly. But then you cut to the different thing, which is all the characters from the beginning of season one being on a plane together and they fly over and the camera pans down and there's this statue that's been at one part of the island famously and it's on the bottom of the ocean. And they're saying there's two timelines have been created in one timeline. The plane never crashed. And in the other timeline, because they clearly did the things that they did, these people have stranded in a splinter of time. Okay, uh, isn't that going to be exciting for series five? And I think possibly those people who were on for the on board for the long haul were like, yeah, that is quite exciting. I'm going to I'm going to run with this. And so they came back for the final season it might be season six, actually. But anyway, the, the story is the same. Uh, and they ran the whole series in this flashback thing. But it was a flash sideways thing where it was. On the one hand, what happened to those people who'd got lost down the trousers of time with the disappearing bomb as they were on the island? And it tried to resolve all of the mysteries of the island. And at the end, uh, some people escaped from the island for a second time, because, of course, halfway through the season, some people escaped from the island for the first time. And, you know, those people who were outside the lost experience believed that it all turned out to be some kind of dream or something. It wasn't. They actually consciously went back to the island of their own volition. And then the other half of it is what happened in that other scenario where the plane arrived naturally. And then, weirdly, as they all get off the plane, all of their lives begin to intersect, even though they are all now in Los Angeles, where there is no reason that these, you know, 20 random people should be running into each other everywhere. They all are. It turns out that their lives are still intertwined Ooh, the mystery. And then they kind of pootle along for a bit. And then at the end of the one 
plot line. Like you say, it all comes down to a bit of a fist fight. In a sense, although you might explain the particular items, it all comes down to wave your hands. We're not going to worry about that. Here, Here's someone punching someone else in the face a bit. And yeah, everybody's happy. That's what it comes down to. Because I, I think there might have been a conversation where they were like, are we going to try and have some serious spiritual component to this? And they went, nah, we'll just have some guy punching another guy in the face. And then in the other plot line, they did go for the spiritual explanation, which was that, in fact, it was some kind of afterlife in which, because they never wanted to go to the island, but they all formed deep emotional bonds to one another, and this led to this completely ludicrous series of events transpiring over the fifth season, which end up with them all in a church, being smiling and eating cake. I can see again, this is the equivalent of, and they all lived happily ever after, pat on the head, now fuck off outside and play football. And I think that's why people were angry. It was like, well, this show has been hella complicated. And again, you know, there is no implication that it's like, well, we could continue this story, but now all the characters are in a completely different place to the place that they were. Because honestly, they'd kind of got themselves in a position where how different could characters be? Yeah, I mean, they totally painted themselves into a corner with Lost. Even though, and I'm going to go on record to saying this again, it was the show that had the most number of characters that I gave a crap about what happened to them than I've ever seen. I think the problem was there was too much potential. There was a character, Desmond, who'd gone yachting and then ended up on the island. He'd been convinced that the nuclear Armageddon was coming and he had to push a button every so often. And then eventually, after a long, twisted road, the reason he was on the yacht was because he wanted to marry this rich girl, but the rich girl's father didn't believe he was good enough. And it came down to this fact that he thought that it shouldn't have mattered what the father's opinion was and what the respect was and all of this kind of stuff. And there was actually a potential to resolve that character where he learns... I had to spend seven years on this stupid island and it it taught me nothing except that I should have been with the person that I left because I foolishly believed I wasn't good enough to be with her. That is a perfectly fine character arc because you say, well, you could continue the story at that point because obviously nothing is not going to happen to Desmond again for his entire life. Hmm. But now he's learned what we set out to tell the story about. But they didn't do that. They did the church cake ending instead. And it's like, yeah, that's, I think that's possibly why, despite the fact that it's just a bit mediocre as ending code, a bit wishy-washy, if you really cared about those characters, part of it is I think the audience knows when the character is good enough what they want to see at the end. And they didn't get to see any of it. So how would you have resolved <clears throat> Lost then? I thought something. I'd probably sat down and have a chat with you and we'd have thought something clever. <laughs> I mean that's the point that's what happens in the end is that you have to you, that's the thing I think people avoid it what you and I learnt is that if you have a conversation it's a piece of work to get what should happen in terms of plot event it's not mystical it's not mysterious there's no alchemy it's not like you might hit it by accident but you'll never hit it on purpose the thing that taught me was our x-files ripoff script about the aliens 
Mm. where we sat down and went, well, what could the ending be? And our ending was, to this day, it was a bit cheesy, but it was perfectly satisfactory. I'm not sure that nobody would have rumbled it. I think we thought we were a bit cleverer than perhaps we were. But the point was that the ending was perfectly satisfactory, and it came out of us sitting down and going, well, we can't do that. We just ran through all the things that would be unacceptable if we were in the audience. And so we came up with something. The first thing that we came up with, which would be, you know, acceptable, we went with that. And that's what I learned, you know, and what some people seem to have difficulty learning is that you it's a piece of work to finish an event turnover. And then you have to marry that with your characters, because that's, I think, the second thing that you've got to learn is that uh, your characters have to pop a bit more. Well, if you are done it right, your character should have been driving the story. Yeah, well, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that deals with the Abrams corner. And, and I think we're, we're kind of racing, uh, towards the present day. One of the things about it is, you know, I'm always a bit wary about, uh, committing to television series. Uh, yeah, right. This is the big one. Battlestar Galactica, the new version. I mean, good grief. We've already talked with, with some anger about this. And, and, and now that we've, had the conversation about other finales and what worked or didn't work, I think we can see that this has all the classics, except that in there, and they all lived happily ever after, their happily ever after was, as you have pointed out in the past, uh, a happily ever after of child mortality and easily preventable disease and disaster. So it not only made you, you know, patted you on the head and sent you outside to play football, it also tried to fob you off with this idea that something which would demonstrably and noticeably be a bad thing that was entirely preventable was in fact their happily ever after i mean how ridiculous is that we did get some commentary about it though i believe didn't we on our facebook page uh, i believe uh matt yes. anderson yes uh he wrote in and said that was that you know the real ending was they're supposed to find earth and it's a radioactive wasteland suppose they were going for the kick to the bollocks ending uh so instead we got this i suppose happier than that ending here instead so well is it no i mean the point is that to a certain extent if they'd have run with that if they go no seriously this is the end of that yeah like that's where they're at then you could have done a series where it's like well now we have to get on with life without these ridiculous fantasies and that could have been interesting instead of which they just went no everything's still cool and you're like, oh, all right, then, okay, cool, right, whatever. I think that it definitely, you know, what we've learned is that uh, in the com- course of this conversation, that the thing that you can't do is go, and they all live happily ever after, and try and just, I think the problem is actually people trying to end it in the sense of, and there is no more, like you said, with the apocalypse, but it's sort of soft apocalypse, and an apocalypse with cushions. Also, I mean, the actual final confrontation with the Cylons was fine, it resolved that thing. It felt like the cast had been so whittled down by that point that it was going to just be one shootout in a room and it was done fine it's also the inclusion of god as well as a manipulator behind events so god wanted everyone to be dying from child mortality and preventable diseases on pre on pre-neolithic earth apparently so the whole thing is just a bit what you could you just find yourself like constantly go what the hell why why was i even watching this and that's why it's hard to commit to another series i think there, there is a point supernatural was going to end in season five. And I'd already committed to buying DVD box sets. And I think part of the reason for that was because they were so bloody cheap. Uh, it's not, it was WB season box sets. 
I think they've got a good, they must be making money out of them, but they're never expensive. Uh, and I think this is possibly the way to go because otherwise if a, if a season, if a series is expensive to buy as you go along, like too expensive to buy, plus it hasn't resolved yet, you sit back going, well, I'm, I'm just going to hang back here and wait until something <laughs> wait for the shoe to drop let's end on a nice one and now i haven't got to the end uh warehouse 13 yet but i'm imagining it would be pretty similar because warehouse 13 and eureka seem to have been strapped to each other as a particular type of show that sci-fi was making and i think the problem with it was possibly that they didn't make more shows of that nature or I don't know if they had the ideas or they didn't, but these are two shows which wanted to place sci-fi as fun adventure. Eureka was science adventure. Warehouse 30 was kind of like an Indiana Jones spin on that same thing. And they even explicitly inhabit the same universe. And then they tried to bring alphas in on that party and alphas was fun in a different way. It wasn't fun in the way Warehouse 13 and Eureka were both kind of verging on sitcoms at certain points, certainly Eureka, because it all took place in one town with all these crazy scientists. But it didn't shy away from having science fiction ideas and science fiction plots and science adventure and all that stuff in it. And for that reason, they had a, both shows have a particular tone warehouse 13 in particular had growing pains in that for a long time i think they were afraid of doing what it does in the end which is that all the characters are goofy Mm. but their stakes are real and i think at the beginning they kind of thought well if the characters are too goofy people aren't going to go with the stakes this is demonstrably untrue as the writers found out eureka was allowed to be goofier from the get-go because it's like well it's a town full of super scientists what are you going to do and one of the things that's most satisfying about the ending of the ending of eureka is the fact that i think in that trying to marry real stakes to goofy characters process the writers were kind of toughened up a bit because they always had to be walking a tightrope and i find the ending of eureka to be one of the best endings of a show ever again uh, but not because it's particularly satisfying in the thing it's that they close a loop and and um you'd for, kind of forgotten in the first episode as two characters drive into Eureka, they see themselves leaving as a sort of time shadow. And you kind of forget it because it's like, well, weird shit happens all the time in Eureka. But they went, well, we should really deal with that. We know we're going to get cancelled. So they do the final episode. And then at the end, the last thing you see is them in the present leaving Eureka and seeing themselves arriving and waving at them out of the car. And when you do that kind of closed loop, you get a, you, when you can do it effectively, I think you get away with a lot because that kind of betrays what I was talking about where, well, I could continue the story, but it would be a completely different nature. I mean, in a way, it does do the same thing because Eureka doesn't stop. Um, and those characters now don't live there. So it, it kind of bakes its own end into its beginning. And that really worked. So I'm imagining that when we, get to the end of the road with warehouse 13 they're going to do a similar thing 
Possibly. I don't that, know. That sounds very satisfying and, and a great payoff for people who've been there since the beginning, I think. That, that sounds very emotionally satisfying. It doesn't matter what anything else about it is. As long as you've got those two bookends, what happens in between was their adventure in the times of the, ta- of, of the town of Eureka, and now it is at an end. What's actually satisfying about it is when they come into the town, they're at odds, these two characters. Uh, it's a father and a daughter, and they're, they're having a row. And when they leave, they're not actually leaving. I remember now, she, he's driving her to the airport, but she's going off to have her life. So he's going to come back to Eureka, but she's not. And that's what's satisfying about it is that it's when they see themselves coming out as they're going in, in a way as well, when you first watch the series, you think, well, that could just be the end of the season, couldn't it? I mean, you know, you don't know when they're leaving. You just know that they are. And so you have this context that they're coming in together and they've never been there before. And when you see it at the beginning, you think, well, they're leaving and they're never going to come back. And that's what you get. But when you see it at the end, it actually changed the context. It says, well, he now lives in Eureka, but she doesn't. So although they've got all the bags and everything and it is clearly an end to a phase, what your expectation is has completely changed. And of course, they can't communicate any of this to the them in the past in the other car. They know this. So they just go, yeah, you work it out. And then they leave. And I think that, yeah, that's where the real nugget of satisfaction comes in that you understand so much more about that moment the second time it happens than you did the first time. And that's what makes you think, I'm ready to walk away from this now. Hmm. And that, yeah, and I think that's key. That's what we've discovered over and over again during the course of the show. So I think we've done some good work there. Well, Uh, it it makes me think about helping the audience to emotionally uncouple from the show as well in a funny sort of way. Because it's so, it's so bookend so pleasantly. It feels like, ah, yeah, this is actually, this is a good spot actually, guys. So it's so much you've got to kind of, yeah, you've got to wean your audience away from it onto other things that have a a, a truly great ending it means that when you finished in eureka they almost point to this is you could go back to the beginning and watch it again it's like if you read a book that you really enjoy and you finish it and then you know a year later or you know where however long you pick that book up again and you read it again with a book that's fine i mean the person you know the person who wrote it wrote it and they when they published the book they kind of knew that you could pick it up and read it again when you started. One of the reasons why it's so immensely satisfying with a television series is because when you start a television series, you have no guarantee. I mean, this is the thing. The end of uh, Battlestar Galactica effectively ruined a rewatching because you Hmm. know what's coming and you go, oh, God, that's how it is. That if the television series has a satisfactory ending, then you don't mind sitting and watching the whole thing again because you're thinking, oh, I can't wait to get to that moment. You can't wait to see how that ending unfolds a second time. It will change and deepen your experience. So in all the cases where you know what's going to happen at the end and what happens at the end is good, it'll change the next time you come to it because you know it's coming. You get a different kind of pleasure out of the experience of hearing the story or, you know, Mm. watching the story. So, yeah, I think that's probably a key point is that you have to leave people in a state where they could just go back to the beginning and start all over again. And they'd be perfectly happy with that. 
Um, which is, I think, which is why the Stargate SG1 season eight finale is great because you could go back to the beginning and go again and the season 10 slightly less so because you're just like, what? You're just going to leave it in the middle of the air like that. And that kind of leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth about the whole, whole thing, really. I should be straight to the forums to register my complaint about all yes. this, uh, about this episode. Is there anywhere past we could recommend we could go to do such a thing? Uh, yes. Well, I was going to say, if people are like now highly, uh, highly confident that we are not going to be able to pull off the uh coveted season finale in the uh or series finale in in the requisite way where might they go to mock us in advance Ian? well one place to go be our facebook page which you can find on facebook forward slash revenge of the 80s kids uh we put up links to our podcast there as well as links we find interesting but podcasts are what it's all about so for those points we're browsing towards 80s kids and it's 80s as in letters so e-i-g-h-t-i-s kids dot bomb automatic.com please go there and subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregate of your choice or download to your pc for dark reasons of your own uh, but this is only where our most recent podcasts can be found for the legacy of our podcast you must go to the 80s kids.blogspot.com where you can find a full archive of all our past shows uh, and everything else uh, but if this isn't enough for you you can hunt down individual 80s kids in such places as leostableford.com where you can find all of my stuff and uh, although Justin's not here we'll give him a shout out at justinwire.deviantart.com so there we go basically that's uh, where my my own series finale now is all going wrong I was going to say yeah at my site there's loads of stuff coming up like videos and uh, but then I screwed it up by saying about Justin there's videos there's stories coming up and on all that kind of stuff Justin is currently uh, not recording with us at this time right now because he is caricaturing at a Pokemon tournament mm. in Manchester. So I guess we can all send him sympathy for that. It's if an ignominious fate of a, of a Mackie level, I think. Yeah, I think if you, if you uh, suddenly see on his DeviantArt some pictures of, you know, like uh, people burning to death in houses and other dark uh, psychological portents of uh, internal torment, you'll know why, because mm. that's what's going on. So there we go. Uh, yes. So uh, th- this this is it. We have reached the end of, of of the point where, from here on out, there will be no more beardy navel gazing on the eighties kids well, podcast. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we we've talked about endings so often over the years as well. I mean, what I'd love to do, and perhaps we'll find some venue for it somewhere, is to have a general discussion about storylines and structure because the mechanics of an engine fascinate me endlessly so maybe i maybe i just feel we've, we've summed up so many of the of the things we've touched on before in in this package episode we put together we could say uh to the regular listener is that uh the venue you know we're just changing venue in a way and changing approach uh at the you know this is our own thing it, it is weird because i think we very much have built in this idea that when we get to the end we're going to say look we could continue to do this but it well, we can't really. We've kind of done this. So we could continue the story, but we'll all be different people. And that's what we're going to do, essentially. Yes. I mean, we ourselves. So indeed, the satisfying end to television series mirrors the way that people approach a task that they do in life. And that's why possibly it has some internal satisfaction. And I think that's as good a point as any to say uh, goodbye. So I will. Goodbye. Yes, I think the good, good time to have an end is when you quit just before people get really bored of it. So, uh, bye!
Nobody told me they talked so much! They do go on a bit, Commander. So, can we get on with wiping them out now? Did you not get the message from the studio head? This isn't to be the site of the final battle. What? Why not? Because it is a two-part finale, Commander. They're very popular these days. This is the bit where you say, No! It's that kind of thing. Actually, I had a thought about that. I've decided I'd like to try something new. Something new? I think it'll be big. Okay? Ready? Oh, no, 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 no. Very good, Commander. No, you wait. It will catch on. I'm going to own it. No, 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 no,